faithful God, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we think on these things, open our hearts and our minds to hear you afresh. Amen. Please be seated. Over the pandemic, I found myself working from home. And uh, the, the morning goes through very, very quickly. Uh, I'm there on my computer. And uh, midday usually comes and uh, we look at the clock and we think, yes, it's time for dinner. About 12.15ish, it seems to have got into a rhythm. But it's allowed me to um, take part in a guilty pleasure at uh, dinner time, i.e., I uh, sneak, sneak quite closely into the living room, put the telly on, and what's on at 12.15 on BBC One? Bargain Hunt. Bargain Hunt. There we go. Thank you, Ruth. Yes. Bargain Hunt. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. And while I was watching Bargain Hunt, I was intrigued by this one particular episode. It had a young man, and uh, they were going around. And if those who've not seen Bargain Hunt... You have a red team and you have a blue team. And the idea is for them to go around different antique fairs or shops, trying to find the bargain, the treasure, and then sell it on at a profit in an auction. And this one episode had this young man and uh, they were running out of time, as often they do, and uh, they were looking around this shop and uh, his mum had gone one way, he'd gone another way, and the next thing you knew is that he'd made a deal and people weren't too happy about that but you know the camera came to him what has he spent his money on it zoomed into him he decided to buy a bike well for those who've watched bargain hunt you probably don't spend all your money but he spent 200 pounds on this bike and he knocked it down from 500 pounds it was a real bargain but everybody, including the presenter, were doubting him. He had invested all, an awful lot of his money into what he thought would make this great profit. His mum was not pleased with him. The presenters were not pleased with him. Anyway, that, uh, that, that day went on and we, we cut through to the auction. And there he is, every, the presenters start saying, oh, this isn't going to make a profit. But the auction came. He bought it for 200 pounds. He sold it for 300 plus pounds. He made this amazing profit. He had uh, shown all his critics that they were wrong, that he could spot this bargain, that he could find this treasure. And that's where I thought this story would end. But have you seen what I have here? I have a bargain hunt top. Now, it might be one of my dreams to actually go to and be on Bargain Hunt, but no, this isn't mine. It's actually that young lad who I saw on the TV. Now, I'm not a stalker. I haven't stalked him and said, can I have your jacket? But many, many months later, it turns out that this guy that I watched on the TV is now dating my younger daughter, who is 19. And this is now... It is his jacket, and he was that young person. And what can I say as a dad? All I can say 
is that he knows treasure and value when he sees it. And he can indeed. And, uh, and that's what we're thinking about this morning. Let me pop that down. Is the ability to actually know something of value and treasure. And as we heard of our gospel reading, I want us just to go through that and reflect on it because I believe there's three types of people that we encounter in that gospel reading. And there's probably three different responses that they are making to, to the person and presence of Christ. So who are they? Well, Mark, we, Mark, we read, is, uh, we read the third, in the third chapter of Mark. And right in the front, uh, first chapter of Mark, Mark doesn't hold back. He just goes straight into telling us all about Jesus. He announces, he starts with John, and we learn about John, and we learn that John came, and uh, John baptised Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's driven out into the wilderness where he is tempted. He defeats Satan there. And he then moves out in this wonderful ministry and he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And Mark then goes on and tells us these wonderful miracles that he does and the amazing things that he said. People were attracted to him his message and the things that he did. So much so that there was a huge crowd that came to follow him. We told before the chapter three that he had to get on a boat and uh, speak to people on the shoreline. And in this gospel message, we have that actually he couldn't eat his meal because the house he was in was so crowded. People wanted to be with him. They were the insiders, literally those people gathered inside the house. And just before our reading in Mark, we actually hear too of Jesus anointing and appointing his disciples and uh, those people who had followed him, choosing to take up their call and saying, yes, Jesus, you have everything that I have been looking for and choosing to follow him. And what does Jesus say to those followers? He says that, yes, you are my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. That they are indeed part of his family and part of his followers. He gives them a, a commission and a mission and the power to go out and do his work. Friends, I wonder whether or not we think ourselves in the insiders today, people who've responded to that love and presence and goodness of God. But I don't know about you, but I don't think I can be too smug and say, yes, that's me. Because often in my discipleship, I maybe struggle with doubt and actually getting hold of the fact that I am God's, a, a child of God, a son of God. And that's something that I know many Christians perhaps do struggle with, and perhaps we need to think afresh about today. Some people I come across also might struggle with the fact that they've been sent out on a mission and given a mission and calling from God to go into the whole world. Maybe they feel a little guilty about that. 
But yet we are, and yet we are all these sons and daughters if we respond to Christ in this way. So that's the first type of characters we see in this uh, passage. The second we see is Jesus' parent, or parents and a family, and they're worried about their Jesus. And uh, they've, they've grown up with Jesus, they've seen Jesus, but Jesus seems to have been going off the rails here, that uh, he's going out, he's doing all this stuff, and he's correcting lots of crowds. They've come in on this Bible passage to sort him out, to actually take him, uh, maybe take him by force, and uh, tell him what's what. He wasn't conforming to what they thought that uh, he was meant to be. And that's surprising given all the things that we hear about Mary in, uh, in the Christmas accounts. But Jesus had been infilled by the Holy Spirit. And what we find by his uh, family taking this stance, instead of insiders being inside that house, where are they? They're on the outside. They're on the outside looking in. And uh, they should be on the inside, but Jesus turns things on its head. They're not on the inside at this moment in time. They're wondering why, what on earth, who is Jesus and why he is there. And I don't know about you, but um, sometimes I might feel that I'm in that camp as well, because sometimes we might try and put Jesus and the work of God in a box, try and keep him there under control. And that's in a sense what these family members were trying to do. And yet Jesus was saying, no, let, let, let the kingdom of God come. And also, maybe we might find ourselves in places where we'd be challenged to talk about our faith to others. And we might feel a little embarrassed about our faith. I'm in that place at the moment in work where I'm saying, well, in a year's time, I'm probably not going to be around in my work because I'm going to be ordained. And they're saying, oh, that's, everyone's saying, you're going to be a vicar. That's very, very strange. And the look of horror on their face is like, what are you doing that for, Steve? But it's given an opportunity to talk and share with them about the gospel. So do you feel yourself a little resonance with that group of people? Or in that account, we, found, we also find the religious scribes, the religious leaders of the day. And they'd already made their mind up about Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, we find that um, Jesus heals a, a, a man with a withered hand. And after that, the, the, the scribes have already got it in for Jesus and have an intent to kill him. But they are also on the outside of this house. They should be on the inside as religious leaders, but they're there on the outside. And what they're doing is they're casting doubt upon Jesus and his character and his power, ascribing it of, of being not of God, where in fact it was God. They, in, in a sense, rejecting God completely out of the picture reminding ourselves of our, our, our readings this morning and Genesis reading. We have and we hear of Adam again, Adam and Eve rejecting God in that way. And Jesus responds by telling two parables that, that the, the power that is doing this is certainly 
of God. It can't be of Satan. After all, if he goes around and heals people, um, Satan would, would really rebel and, and rise up and uh, sort, it, sort that out. But yet, it needs somebody stronger to sort Satan out. And Jesus is saying, this is what's happening, guys. The kingdom of God is at hand. I am stronger than, uh, than this. So this third group of people are willingly rejecting Jesus. And perhaps we know people who are doing that too. And perhaps we need to keep praying uh, on, their, on their behalf. But don't forget that these are also religious people. And that's which I think we need to be mindful of. And I'm challenged myself. That actually these religious people were, were challenging things that they saw which were outside their experience. And it just makes me mindful of not jumping to conclusions where God might be concerned. I don't want to put any, any downers on anything that uh, God might be in. So we do need to be mindful of what we make judgments on. And potentially, looking from the outside, who are the scribes seeing inside the house? They're seeing the misfits, the sick, the lame, the people that they've discriminated against all of their lives. Yet Jesus was supporting, looking after, and saying they are inside his kingdom. I think that's a challenge too for us all, to make sure that we are welcoming all into our family and our churches. So who are you most like? If, as I say, I think I can um, relate to all of those characters in the story, either those insiders responding excitedly to Jesus, but also struggling sometimes with the fact that I am a son and a child of God. Or perhaps we are like his family who want to control Jesus and put him in a box and, ex uh, and limit what he wants to do. Or perhaps we're the scribes who reject or oppose things of God. No matter who we are, we hear in our Corinthians reading of the wonderful um, goodness that God has. And we hear in this passage too, in verse 28, that forgiveness is there for all to come back into God's presence, no matter who we are or what we feel that we have done. You might say, well, Steve, is that right? Because wasn't there a, a really tricky verse there all about whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but he's guilty of an eternal sin? Well, yes, that verse is there. But I think it's very much about a verse where the people involved are rejecting God rather than God rejecting them. And it's a bit like... Um, it was seeing somebody stuck in a, 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 a quicksand with a rope right there. They can save themselves. Everything is being given so that somebody can have and find forgiveness and, and receive eternal life. But they choose not to hold out to that. My daughter, one of my other daughters, also is a paramedic. And it's a bit like uh, she attends a, a road traffic accident. All the emergency services are there ready to free someone from an accident, but they were saying, no, sorry, don't need your help. In other words, 
the, everything is there, ready for everybody to come into the presence of God and receive that fullness of forgiveness, but they choose not to receive it. And so therefore, it's not down to God, it's down to the individual. So, our search for treasure then, and our search for treasure and value, how good are you at spotting that bargain, that thing which is of great importance and uh, value? I hope that through this this reading today that uh, perhaps you can see the value of Christ that we mustn't miss out on as we go through our lives. So, in the, uh, in the lines of uh, bargain hunt, let's get treasure hunting. And as I mentioned, bargain hunting. Yes, yes, <laughs> as they say. Amen.